Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Week number three, wild things, wild things. We're going to jump right in. Top, top five. If you're a guy, I bet you're going to love this story. But for me, growing up in church, Samson, we're going to talk about him today. Top, top five favorite Bible characters of all time. I thought it was ironic. This week I was preparing a message for, for Samson. And so I was getting, in the, it was getting prepared to begin my message where all pastors do on Facebook. And so I was scrolling through Facebook, just kind of getting ready because it's, it's one of those things. Once you start, it's, it's heavy, right? And so just kind of trying to waste time, what you do on Facebook. And an article came online and the article was a picture of Thor, right? And what is it, Hemsworth, whatever his name is. And, and he was walking with his, with his son and he had to big bulging biceps and apparently he's training to be Hulk Hogan in a movie. Isn't that awesome for those of you who grew up in the 90s and 80s and Hulk Hogan and he's training and the article said something like basically like he's so muscular right now that he's going to cause body issues for future superheroes that follow him, right? Which I was like, oh my gosh, like we... We have problems in our society. You know what you should do? Not, not be excellent, because if you're excellent, you'll make everybody else feel bad about themselves, right? And so instead of saying, just lift more, right? And take more steroids or whatever you do to get big like that, we're going to lessen it, right? And so, and so I was laughing, but I was thinking to myself, Thor is, is like the, Samson's like the Christian Thor. So if you picture Thor, right, if you're a superhero fan, right, this, Sam, this story is going to resonate with you because, man, it's an incredible, incredible story. Let me give you a little background. Uh, the Jewish people, once again, disobedient to God, under oppression uh, by, e- by an evil, you know, neighbors, and the, the, neighbor, the neighbors of the neighbors are Philistines. If you, if you read the Bible, you'll hear this, this term, these people, the Philistines. They just sound, they sound awful, right? It's almost like uh, the, the, the Dallas Cowboy fans, you know what I'm saying? It just sounds like you just hear that, you're like, ugh, right? And so, like the Philistines, and you'll, you'll hear them, and what will happen in the book of Judges, which we're going to go to today, is God will raise up a man or a woman to bring relief from, from the Philistines. So Samson was one of them, and what happened is his parents... Uh, they were told by God, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be the strongest kid that ever, ever, ever walked the earth. Strongest baby, right? Like, could you imagine that? Like, you're having a baby, and this dude's going to be awesome, right? He's going to be Hercules mixed with Thor, mixed with He-Man, right? Like, this guy is going to be the strongest guy that has ever lived. But I want you to take, I want you to take with him a Nazarite vow, right? What, what was a Nazarite vow? Well, in Numbers chapter 6, God called, called these men to be set apart for him, right? And so it's kind of like baptism. Next Sunday's baptism. Uh, we over-spiritualize baptism a lot of times, especially in our culture. What do we do? We get people baptized thinking if you get baptized, you go to heaven. So we, we started baptizing babies, right? Like we're like, we got to sprinkle them because you know if they die now, they're going to hell because they're a sinner, right? And so you're like, I'm going to baptize them so that they can go to heaven. But the Bible never spoke on that. The Bible said, when you make a decision to follow Christ, you take a public step in being baptized in water. That's a vow you are taking with God. And so he said, take a Nazarite vow. Here's three things I want you to do in your Nazarite vow. You can read in Numbers chapter six. Number one, never drink alcohol. 
Alcohol will never touch his lips. No, no, no margaritas at the, at the Mexican restaurant. No Coronas at the beach. No Budweiser's if you're hanging out in Boyertown. No, no, no wine if you're at a wedding. No, no champagne. No alcohol will ever touch his lips. N- number one. Number two, don't touch anything dead. Nothing dead. Don't go hunt, skin something. Like, do not touch dead things. Number three, never cut your hair. Theologians have wondered what, what a Samson's hairstyle looked like through the ages. Definitely a mullet, right? It's a, it was a mullet. It was a beautiful mullet. Never cut your hair. Never touch anything dead. These are important. I need you to remember these. And never, ever drink, drink alcohol. And if you do that, you will be strong. I will be with you. My presence will be with you. You just follow my instructions. So here's the thing about Samson. He has some of the most famous moments in, in scripture. Some of the moments you step back and you go, this dude was crazy. Like one time he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Like a, a thousand men. He came to a gunfight with the jawbone of a donkey and he killed a thousand men he ripped a gate off of a city one time we're going to read about in scripture he he ripped a lion apart with his bare hands this dude was was tough right he also had some of the greatest moments of failure in scripture you're going to see see what i noticed about the life of samson is he was an incredibly strong human with a dangerously weak will in the sports world you might say something like this their talent outkicks their character they have all this talent but their character disqualifies them and i know people like this and you know people like this my, my career is is in the ministry so i went to ministry school when i graduated with people that were much more talented than i was they they they, they could they could not just preach like that's that's the extent of what i could do right they could sing, they could play instruments, they could take their own offerings up, they could teach kids, they could, I mean, they, they did it all. And you would look at them and you would go, man, they are ridiculously talented and God could really use their life if they just stay focused on him. But many of them in their 40s are no longer in the ministry and many of them are divorced and many of them don't even serve the Lord anymore. They have a ridiculous talent, they have a really weak, weak will. And the Bible says this about us in 2 Timothy 1. It says, for the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, does not make us weak, right? But he gives us power, love, and this one's important, self-discipline. The spirit God gives us doesn't make us timid, doesn't make us weak, right? He gives us power, he gives us love, he gives us self-discipline. We don't have to have a million-dollar potential and spare change willpower. And I, I bet a lot of you struggle with this. In fact, I think for Samson, his his greatest struggle, if you read his story, is instead of being spirit-led, he was spirit-called, right? But just because you're spirit-called doesn't mean you're spirit-led. You have to listen. He wasn't spirit-led. He was emotionally driven. If you ask me what the number one problem with most Christians are, they're emotionally driven. You've been single for too long, so why did you start dating the person that you know you shouldn't be dating? Because God does not give you a spirit of of being timid which means you you're all right with being alone because god is all that you need and you get tired of following god in that way and so you become emotionally driven and you decide to date the person you shouldn't you shouldn't date why did you drink what you what you're drinking even though you shouldn't be drinking that because once you used to drink that it led you down a path of of sorrow i got bored or i got tired or i got lonely i'm emotionally driven instead of spirit spirit led and let me just show you uh so the story of samson starts in judges 13 but judges 14 it's already fallen apart. 
It's already fallen, fallen apart, and we can walk with him and watch him deal with three dangerous emotions that destroy people's lives. N- number one is this. The first dangerous emotion we're going to see is, is lust. I told you we're not going to, we're not, we're, we're going we're gonna to put the, we're going to drive right into it today. Could have saved it for number three because it's usually the most awkward one. But we don't talk about lust enough in church. Lust is something that we assume doesn't hurt anybody because it's just, it's just, just you. And we do it in secret. Nobody, nobody knows. We'll, we'll do it when no one's watching. We'll, our mind will be filled with smut and things we shouldn't be thinking about. And, and, and lust, and it's not that big of a deal because it's not hurting anybody, anybody else. And here's what lust is at its core. Lust is really the loss of logic. Satan has an amazing way of getting us to lose logic. It's, it's the loss of logic. It's not thinking about what the outcome is. It's looking at somebody and saying, what do you say when you lust? I, I what? I want it. You can almost feel yourself. I, I want that. I don't know how, logically how this is going to turn out, but I know right now in this moment, I want it. I remember years ago when I started this church, I had some friends that I grew up with that, uh, that's, that were coming. Some, they were married at this point. Some of them had kids. I was 25 years old, and I had this one friend. He's 27 years old. And he, when I moved back from, from Pennsylvania, he already had kids. He had a wife, kids. He had a great life, I, I assumed. And I grew up with him. And I, he was one of those guys when you grew up with that, if God could ever get a hold of his life, that he would do significant things, right? Like his, his character uh, was questionable, but, but his talent was unquestionable. Like he could do some things and he could accomplish some things. But he was one of those guys that always kind of kept God at a distance. He would be real close to God, but he was emotionally driven up and down and up and down. So I returned home and, and I was glad he was coming to our church and he was married to this, this girl and they had two little, little girls and, and they were super cute. And I just thought to myself, man, what an opportunity that this, this guy has to be a, be a girl dad, right? And, and to raise these girls as queens of, of the most high and to set the bar really high for the guys that they're going to date according to how he treats them. Guys with girls, isn't that your role? Like you should be so good that nobody gets to that level, right? And if they do, you have a gun waiting. And like that's, like that's how it is with girl dads. I'm not a girl dad, so I can just assume, but I'm trying to teach my boys, if you're going to find the right type of girl, you're going to have to raise your, your game up, right? If you're coming like a joke and some girl likes you, you don't want to be married to her because she's not going to make you better. Am I, am I preaching good? Is that, are you with me? And so, and, and, and so anyway, so he started hanging out with, 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 this, with this younger girl. And, and it wasn't a hanging out like a beginning of lust. It was just being somewhere you shouldn't be. Did you ever notice that lust, lust always happens in your life when, when you're someone you're not supposed to be? It always, it's, it's both physical and, and, and mental. When you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, lust always attacks. So he starts to, to develop this friendship with this, with this girl, and his wife was in the picture, and she was babysitting for them, this girl right out of high school when he's 27. And, and next thing I know, she was at their house hanging out with their kids when the wife wasn't, wasn't there. And the next thing I know, they were spending time texting and talking. And next thing I know, this whole thing comes out, and they're they're sleeping together and messing around, and the next thing I know, their marriage is falling apart, and fast forward to 41, so I'm 41, he's 43 now. Guess how his life ended up? Well, I can tell you his daughters are now out of high school, and he missed all of it. I can tell you the wife of his youth is no longer the wife of his youth. I can tell you that the relationship with the girl that was much younger than him didn't work out, duh. And I can tell you the whole thing started because of lust, which was the loss of logic. How did you think this was going to work out? 
Did you think the blessing of God was going to be on that relationship that was outside the ways of God? It's like when people come to me and they're like, you know, we fell into lust and we, we had an affair and we both left our spouses and now we're together and we're having trust issues. Pastor, can you fix it? To which I tell them, no. You, you, you lost trust when you cheated on your ex-spouse and you got together. How did you think it was going to turn out? People don't call me for counseling most of the time, by the way. <laughs> this is exactly how it'll be. And lust, loss of logic. Watch what happens in this story. Now, by the way, Samson has everything. Everything. He has good hair. He has muscles. He's one of those guys. He's like a genetic freak. You know what I'm talking about? You don't have to go to the gym for hours. He is just muscly. Like, he, he has crazy party tricks when he goes. Like, he, he's like a guy's guy. He, could, he probably could have had any girl he wanted. Any girl he wanted. He could have got married to the most beautiful girl of the Jewish people of Israel. He could have had the great life. He was famous. He was Samson. God's hand was upon this guy. But the Bible says in Judges 14, it starts to go bad. Samson went down to Timnah, which, by the way, is four miles away from his home. But Timnah is not, is not a Jewish community. Timnah is a Philistine community. The same people he came to destroy, he's now mingling with. God told them a long time ago, don't mingle with people outside of the Jewish people because you'll end up serving the gods that they serve and they'll take you off course. Don't do it. But he goes to Timnah and finds a Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and his mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Lust, I want it. Get her for me. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all the people, all the, of our people, which... If I had time, I would explain, because it sounds like Jerry Springer right there, but <laughs> must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Once again, don't have time. I'll explain it later. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. I, I, I want it. Lust always begins with you being somewhere you're not supposed to be. You, you see it again in scripture a little bit later in Samuel. David is the king. And the Bible says that David was supposed to be off fighting wars, but instead it says in the springtime when kings are supposed to be fighting wars that David was home and he ends up on the roof of his palace and he looks down and there's a woman bathing. Uh, her name's Bathsheba, kind of ironic. He sees her, he brings her to his palace, he sleeps with her, he impregnates her. By the way, she's married to his friend that's off fighting for him. And the rest of his life is kind of chaos. Lust is the loss of logic. Lust is what Satan does many times to ruin somebody's life. Lust is everywhere. We do some studies on lust and pornography. It's crazy. 30% of all internet usage in the world is pornographic in nature. That means if you're on the internet for 100 minutes, 30 of those minutes are used as a trap from Satan. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. The porn industry generates $13 billion every year. America, I think this is funny. America is the number one producer of pornography in the world. Might be why I reject. The average age someone sees pornography now is eight. I have a seven-year-old. He can barely tie his shoes. And he still can't pee in the toilet. Eight years old. Nine out of ten boys are exposed to porn by 18. Six out of ten girls. Seventy-one percent of your teenagers will never tell you what they're looking at on the phone. Satan wants to trip us up with, with porn. Why? Porn is the loss of logic, and it entangles us, it destroys us. And when you don't focus your eyes, your eyes begin to pollute your mind, and your mind controls the direction of your life. 
Number one's lust. Number two, number two is entitlement. You'll see this in his story. Entitlement. So if lust is I want it, entitlement says this. You ready? I deserve it. There might not be a greater word that describes, I don't want to talk about other countries, but American people than entitled. I, I, I deserve it. What's entitlement? It's the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges and special treatment. It's the feeling that you have the right to do or have what you want without having to work for it. It's a cancer, really, to our, to our life. Entitlement. And I want to show you, remember what he said, never what? Never touch alcohol, never cut your hair, and never do what? Never touch a dead thing. Watch what happens in the next part of the story. John chapter, or Judge chapter 14, verse number 5 says, So Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, by the way, probably shouldn't be in a vineyard if you're not drinking, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Time out. Oh, what? <laughs> like, I've been around dudes. I went hunting one time in my life, right? And when, when the guy killed the deer and he, and he found it, he tracked it down, he didn't say, here, hold my gun and take his hands. You know, like the scene from, what is it, Indiana Jones, and the dude ripped up and pulled out the heart. You guys remember that? Nightmares. He didn't just pull it open and gut it right there. He had a big knife, right? And it says, it says about Samson, the spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he rips the lion apart. As easy as when, like, like he lip rips the goat apart. Like, he's going, he just rips it apart. Who wants, who wants a leg, right? And he just rips this lion limb from limb. But he didn't tell his father or mother. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she, and, and, and they liked her. He liked her. Then the Bible says in verse number eight, sometime later, he went back to marry her. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. What's he not supposed to touch? Dead things. He sees a swarm of, 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 of bees and some honey. What does he do? He does what all guys do. He scoops out the honey with his hands and he eats it as he goes along. Time out. That's disgusting. Some of you say guys won't do that. Let me ask you something, guys. How do you determine if something is clean or not? You smell it. And if it smells bad, what's your next step? Turn it inside out. Put it on, right? We've all done it. That's organic, right? Economic. Have a belief in the, you know, the burden on the earth that we're putting, right? It's not gross. And so he digs in to the, to, the, to the lion, and he begins to eat the honey. Then he goes to his parents and gives them some too, but he did not tell them that, that it was from a dead person because his mom would have slapped him, a dead, dead lion. He's never supposed to touch the lion, but here's what happens, entitlement. Who gave him the strength to even do that? The Lord. See, we spend way too much of our lives as followers of Christ in entitled spirits. One, one pastor told me one time, he said, if the only thing that God ever does for you in your life is save you from your sin, he has already done too much for you. And it, I've never forgotten it. If he never opens up a door that is impossible for him to open up, if he never blesses you, if he never promotes you, if all he ever does is save you, he has already done too much for you. But we don't typically act like that. Samson should have been walking around going, I can't believe that God has given me the strength. I can't believe he's called me. I can't believe he wants to use me. What does he do instead? I'm entitled. I ripped, I used my strength, not God's strength. I ripped this lion apart. Now I'm finding this honey and I'm entitled to eat it. 
And some of you don't understand or know if you're entitled. And so here's some questions that you can ask yourself, the entitled test. Do you often feel discontent? Which, by the way, yesterday at about 4 o'clock, after I was done being outside all day at soccer, I was driving to the Lowe's and Oaks, and I was driving by a couple people's pools. They were having pool parties, and I was discontent with my life. <laughs> I need a pool. Do you often feel envious and resent other blessings that people have? Do you feel disappointed with your life? Do you doubt God's faithful provision for you? Do you unfavorably compare yourself and your situation with others? Do you constantly grumble about blessings not received? Instead of being grateful for those you have received, then you're probably entitled. It's a toxic emotion, and here's why. Because when you feel entitled and you don't get what you want in the time that you want it, you'll make it happen yourself. And I got to tell you, that song that we sang, listen, Montgomeryville, that song that we sang about waiting on the Lord, one of the most important things you can do is wait for him. God's plan without God's timing, listen to this, always leads to disaster in your life. You got to wait on the Lord. Number three is this, pride, pride, lust, entitlement, pride. I think it's funny because this is pride month. And I think it's funny that it's Pride Month, and this is not a soapbox time for me, so please don't. Come back later. I, I can do that. But this is not what this is. But I think it's funny that we, we, we gloat about pride because the Bible has never used the word pride as a good thing. Never once. In fact, in fact, the Bible says that pride is the root of all sin. Why? Because I is in the middle of pride. So you see this pride well up in Samson, Right? Instead of, instead of him being humble, instead of him realizing all of his strength came from the Lord, he begins to believe his own press clippings. And pride is the bedfellow of entitlement. You remember what he said? Don't cut your hair. Don't touch dead things. Never drink what? Alcohol. Simple as that. Sometimes we, over, we overcomplicate God's, God's commands in our lives as if he's trying to keep something from us. Right? Think about what God was trying to do, but he was trying to use Samson's life. This is stuff of legends. Like, we would have been, we would have been talking about him still to this day in a good light. Like, dude, Samson was this faithful, obedient. I want to be like Samson, but nobody says that anymore. Samson is synonymous with failure. What happened? Pride. The Bible says pride comes and then the, then the fall. Never touch alcohol. Do everything else. Watch what the Bible says in Judges 14, verse number 10. Now his father and mother went down with him to the woman. They're about to get married. And there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When this people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. That's a huge wedding party. That word feast in, in Hebrew means mishta. And it very literally means a feast or a party where you would drink. You throw himself a kegger. Samson... Pride, here's what pride does. Pride, pride will say this. I can handle it. I want it, so I'm going to take it. And I'm going to ask God, I want it, right? I, I, I want it. Entitlement, I deserve it. I work hard. You don't know how bad it is to be married to them. I deserve this. I've never been happy in my relationship with my spouse. I deserve this affair. I, I deserve this. And pride says, what does it say? It says, I can handle it. Do you imagine his parents say, well, no, 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 don't do it, Samson. So I can do it. I can marry this girl and I can handle it. And here's what the sad thing about Samson's life is. 
it all falls apart. He had a ridiculously strong potential and power in his life. He had been given a gift. And he had zero willpower. And he ruined his life. And we can see it. That marriage didn't work out. Duh, right? <laughs> Fell apart. Gets mad at her. Bible says sometime later, he never, he never got over his addiction to women. Never. Right? Like he, that was his downfall, which, which if you're a single guy and you really begin to follow the Lord, right? And you go all in for the Lord. I can guarantee you within a few short weeks, some girl is going to be brought in front of you. You're going to go, it's God's will. It's not. You just figured out how to be healthy. And you can't take somebody some, somewhere you're not. So you need some time to heal. You need some time to get whole. You need some time to figure out what it looks like to be a man of God. Because being a man of God in your family is one of the toughest things you're ever going to do. It just is. You're going to carry weight. You're going to do things that maybe other guys don't do. You're going to be responsible for your entire family. That's who you're called to be. You're called to be a spiritual leader. So his marriage falls apart. He ends up falling for this girl named Delilah. By the way, if you ever come, you're a single guy, and you're like, I, I met this girl, you know, of this app. Her name's Delilah. I'm going to say break, run, right? Don't even think about it, right? That's like somebody coming and being like, yo, I'm going to name my kids Satan, right? No, you don't name your kids Satan. That, that's, that's Satan, by the way. You don't do that, right? Find something different. Go with Bob or Billy or something like that, right? So Delilah, and he falls in love with Delilah. And Delilah starts, she's a spy. She starts to say, hey, tell me how you get your strength. Because they were tired of Samson kicking their butt. And Samson, he believed that his, his disobedience was never going to catch up with him. Some of you believe that, by the way. It's never going to catch up with you. And then when it does catch up with you, you're going to blame God. You're going to blame God. Your relationship's not going to work out. There's going to be heartache. And you're going to blame the God who told you a long time ago, don't do it. This is how it's going to turn out. So Samson, first couple times he lies to her. And he falls asleep, and she, she does what he says that he needed to do, and assumed his strength was going to be gone, and the Philistines come in, and she says, the Philistines are upon you. He jumps up and kicks their butts again. So she gets mad and knows that she could pull at his heartstrings. She says, Samson, you know how girls talk. Tell me what it is. You don't love me, right? <laughs> you don't talk like that. I'm just playing. And so Delilah did. And, and, and he says, well, if I cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. So he falls asleep, drinks alcohol again, falls asleep. She shaves his head. The Philistines come in. She yells, Philistines are upon you. He gets up assuming that his strength is still going to be there because he thinks that God is never going to hold him accountable. And the Bible says he gets up and tries to attack them and his strength is gone. And it's really sad. They take him and they, they gouge out his eyes. They shave his head. They gouge out his eyes. He loses all of his strength. They put him on a, on, a, on a wheel, a wheat press, and, they, and he's, he's chained to it, and he all day long is just in his wheat press going around in a circle. This hero of the faith has been humbled by his, his lack of willpower. But something changes. You see, Satan has a great way of making strong men weak, and God has a way of making weak men strong. The Bible says, when you become weak, I can become strong. So he's humbled in this moment, of course. And they bring him out in front of, the Bible says, 3,000 Philistines. They bring him out to mock him. They place his hands on two, on two columns, and they begin to call him names and mock him. Samson's different, though. He doesn't look the same. He's made some mistakes, but something shifted in his heart. He's different. He's strong now. 
And instead of saying, I want it, which is lust, he begins to say, I want God. God, would you give me strength? You see, many people will look at religion and faith and say, man, it's a crutch, to which I will say, absolutely. It's not just a crutch, it's everything. If I don't have God, I don't have anything. I can't do anything significant outside the power and the presence of God. Am I right? I I want God. He begins to pray. You can read about it. God, would you be with me one more time? I know I let you down, but I want you. And then he loses his entitlement. He's been saying, I deserve it. I deserve it. I deserve it. You know what he begins to say? This is is a mental shift. He begins to say, I deserve death. I, I deserve death. I've fallen short. I've messed up. I deserve death. Which, by the way, if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that thought should be in your head all the time. Because that thought keeps you grateful. That thought keeps you centered. I don't deserve anything good. I know who I was before God. See, we're not truthful with ourselves. I know who I would be. I wouldn't be kind. I would steal. I would cheat. I would probably own a business where I would do anything that I could do to make a dollar. Let's be honest. I wouldn't be a good person. People be like, I'd be a good person. You're garbage. There's nothing good inside of us, outside of God. I deserve death. And then instead of saying, I can handle it, Samson begins to pray, I can't do anything without you. I've worked on my own strength, my own glory, but God, would you give me one more time? Would you bring your your strength back to me? And the Bible says that God brings his strength back one more time because God's a redeeming God. And he takes it, and they're mocking him, and they're ridiculing him, and he takes those two columns, and one more time, he pushes them. You can read in the Bible. He pushes them apart, and the whole facility, the whole structure comes crumbling down, and 3,000 Philistines die in one moment. The Bible says as Samson loses his life that he kills more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. Change of attitude. Extremely strong person with a ridiculously weak will. If you want to know what will take your life out, it's not a lack of potential, a lack of power, a lack of purpose, a lack of opportunity, a lack of talent. It's a lack of will. The spirit God gives you does not make you timid, but gives you love, power, self-discipline. Love, power, self-discipline. Would you stand to your feet all over our houses? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? I wonder where you're struggling today, friend. And I wonder if, if you would be real enough to say, man, I've been arrogantly letting it go. Thinking it's never going to catch up to me. Thinking it's not going to hurt me. Listen, you have a real enemy. And the Bible says he is a, he's out to kill and destroy Make no mistake about it. He hates you with every fiber in his being. He wants you to suffer. He wants you to be in prison. He wants you to isolate yourself. He wants you to lie to yourself. He wants you to hide from others. He doesn't want you to walk in the freedom of God. But for every ounce that Satan hates you, God loves you. God has a purpose and plan for you. God has freedom for you in Jesus' name. So you say, what do I do? Well, the Bible says if you would humble yourself before God, that he could lift you up. What's humble? Less of me, more of you. I can't do anything good on my own, God. Nothing. God, I deserve both death and hell, but it's your grace that gives me forgiveness and the promise of eternity. And God, I want you. Do you see the steps? God, I want you. I want a relationship with you. I've tried everything else. I've looked everywhere else. God, I want a relationship with you. The cool thing is when you're in this moment and the Lord's doing something in your heart here in Montgomeryville online, all you got to do is say yes. 
You don't got to fully understand it. You don't know what you don't need to know what tomorrow is going to be all about. You don't need to know how you're going to figure this out. Right? All you got to do in this moment, yes, Jesus, yes, I want a relationship with you. And here's what I found: one yes in the presence of God has the potential to change everything. Yes, I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Yes, I believe in you. You died on the cross for my sins. It's through you that I have forgiveness. It's through your resurrection that I have the promise of eternity. Lord, I'm going to give you my life. I don't understand it all. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. But right now, Jesus, I need a relationship with you. So come on, if I'm speaking to you, if I'm talking to you, if the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart. I I, I remember, I share this often, I remember what it was like for me. I was 18 years old. And I wanted nothing to do with church, even though I grew up the son of a pastor. I wanted nothing to do with God. And the Lord, he called me, he rescued me, he changed me, he gave me purpose. There was a burning in my chest that day. and it cha- I'm not perfect since then, but it changed me in that moment. And I know in that moment what I was responsible to do is say, yes, that's it. Yes, Jesus. Come into my life. So I'm going to pray with you today as we close. I want to lead you just in a simple prayer of, of saying yes to the Lord. And I've been speaking, and maybe you would say, you've been talking to me. You've been talking to me. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to leave this place a different person. Don't fully understand it, but I know right now in this moment, I need him. I need him. I want him. I want to give him control of my life. I can't do it on my own anymore. That's, that's what happens when you meet Jesus. So come on, if that's you all over this house all over Montgomeryville, watching online. I'm not going to ask you to come forward and I'm not going to call you out and everybody else got their own stuff to work on. But you know I'm talking to you. You know this is your moment. You know you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Come on, if that's you, if that's you, no shame, no fear, all the courage you can muster. Man, Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. But you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven. Say, man, you're talking to me in this room. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Come on, see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? Say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I see another hand right here. Another hand over here. Hand over here. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Anybody in Montgomeryville? You say, hey, that's me. I'm going to give you just a few more seconds. You would say, hey, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. No, I'm not there with you. But the presence of God, it transcends time and space. So the same power that's here is right there with you in Montgomeryville. You would say, hey, you're, you, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just begin to respond? If you're online, you can just type in the, in the chat right there. I'm responding. Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. Come on, let's begin to pray, church. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for how you're changing people's lives forever. The name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name by which all men and women may be saved. That's who we're calling on. Jesus, come into our lives. Jesus, we give you everything that we have. We ask you to forgive our sins. We ask you to stay with us in our present. Lord, we thank you for, your, for, for, for what you called us to in the future, that you guaranteed heaven, not because we're good people, but because we're saved people. Lord, I thank you for this church that's going to be filled with spirit-led people. Spirit-led people. We are not emotionally driven. We are not shaken back and forth by the, by the obstacles and the struggles of this earth. We serve an unwavering, faithful God. If it didn't happen yet, we're just going to keep waiting on you, Lord, because your plan is perfect. The Bible says you're the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, Lord, we stand in confidence. Lord, some, somebody in this place, they were wavering. 
Lord, they were thinking about doing something and, and starting something that they knew wasn't from you, Lord. And in this moment, you're giving them confidence and courage to break it off. You're giving them confidence and courage to say no to something that's not your best. Somebody else listening to my voice is literally in prison with lust and they are ashamed and they are afraid. But Lord, you're an ever-present help in a time of need. You're not far from them. You're not dis- disappointed by them. You're not disgusted by them. Lord, you have freedom for them. And so right now, the first step is giving you that, giving you that problem, giving you that heartache, giving you those issues. Lord, and I'm thankful, Lord, that you begin to heal. You begin to make whole. You begin to set free. Not only are they repenting and moving forward, but Lord, you're going to bring them divine relationships, Lord, that are going to be, that are going to surround them, Lord, that are going to hold them accountable, that are going to ask them real questions, that are going to be real friends in this moment. I thank you, Lord, that that's what the church is all about, that we carry each other, that we support each other, that we move forward together. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done here today. Thank you for continuing to move. Thank you for all that you do. Let us never take for granted your presence, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, one more time, church. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap all over this house. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.